0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. As the prevalence and acceptance of telehealth continues to grow, a report from Fair Health has offered a look into just how much growth there has been in the venue of care over the last few years. Between 2014 and 2018, there's a nearly 1,400% increase in the number of private insurance claim lines for non-hospital-based provider-to-patient telehealth. In addition to the growth, the report also highlighted the most common telehealth diagnostic categories and how the growth varied by geographic location. We sat down with Robin Gelbert, the founding president of Fair Health, to speak more about the report and how it offered a look at a new level of detail regarding telehealth. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure.
0: So your white paper found that between 2014 and 2018, private insurance claim lines for non-hospital provider to patient health grew over 1000%, which is a really big number. What were the numbers and were you surprised to see this significant amount of growth?
1: Yes, you're correct. From 2014 to 2018, non-hospital-based provider-to-patient telehealth grew nearly 1,400%, which accounted for a growth of more than a million claims within that period. Um, actually, we were not surprised for a number of reasons. One is... There has been increased insurance coverage as a result of the Affordable Care Act and other changes in the healthcare system, which is a good thing in the sense that more people are covered. However, that has put a strain on the primary care delivery system, and now telehealth provides sort of a critical new front uh, in the primary care landscape. Um, so that's one reason why it's not surprising people are turning to that venue also Laws and regulations are becoming more favorable to telehealth in the different states. Benefit designs are beginning to expressly include this offering and reimburse providers for this type of service. And it's actually becoming attractive to providers uh, to serve in the network as a telehealth provider due to those changes in reimbursement practices and also as a matter of convenience uh, for people to really be able to reach out at times that accord with their schedule.
0: Right. And so usually when we see telehealth, it's usually associated with respiratory and dermatology conditions. Was this what the white paper found and were there any surprising conditions that were prevalent?
1: Here we actually did uh, find some surprises. Yes, acute upper respiratory infections still constitute uh, the largest category of conditions uh, for which telehealth, telehealth services are sought, um, but now dermatology conditions are outdistanced by a number of other conditions. For example, mood disorders and anxiety and other non-psychotic mental disorders were number two and three respectively in the array of conditions supported. And what's also interesting is there's a true blurring of the lines between telehealth and other primary care outposts, whether it's urgent care centers, retail clinics, or doctor's offices. We see a lot of the same conditions, whether it's urinary tract infections um, or digestive conditions, you know, influenza, other types of substance abuse services, all being uh, presented to telehealth providers. So that goes back to that original comment, why we're seeing the increase in telehealth, because it really is now one of the foot soldiers in the primary care landscape. So
0: you mentioned the ACA and reimbursement among the drivers behind this growth. Do you think there's also not just a greater acceptance among providers, but also better expertise at using this technology, kind of getting more comfortable with using this?
1: Well, yes. I mean, I think certainly technology has put wind at the back of some of the telehealth services. For example, there are mobile apps and there are other kinds of virtual means of communication that are facilitating this type of exchange uh, in the telemedicine realm. Um, but we're also uh, seeing other drivers that are contributing to the growth. For example, work schedules have become more varied, uh, more non-standard, so for people to really leave work and receive primary care services within traditional hours, that's becoming a challenge. Also, because of the increased demand for primary care, just getting an appointment or access may be a challenge. So people are, again, turning to, to telehealth. Cost may be an issue for some. So, for example, there may be uh, services for which it would be uh, less of an out-of-pocket expense to turn to a telehealth provider. And in the mental health area, that provides a very discreet, easy, convenient way for people to reach out for those kinds of services where they might otherwise not uh, go to another venue for that type of care.
0: Yeah. Something you mentioned, which I wanted to talk about, was the whole cost factor, and healthcare costs are really under a big microscope. So do you think that the increase in telehealth use has important implications for ensuring appropriate site of care, and which thus impacts costs, for example, preventing unnecessary ED visits? Um, and kind of really in the realm of appropriate care I think
1: there will be a number of ways in which telehealth services will impact the overall cost profile of the healthcare system. Uh, for one, uh, there may be people reaching out for telehealth services who might otherwise have gone to an emergency department because it would be outside of normal business hours, or they may have otherwise gone to an urgent care setting, which may have been more expensive than their encounter with telehealth. Um, also, people may be reaching out for services, uh, through a telehealth means that might obviate the need for additional or escalated care because they will get immediate services um, or attention or treatment protocols that would allow that condition to be stalled or be treated and, and corrected also it, it also would uh, maybe impact some costs in a different direction, but that may be a positive uh, outcome for example, we're seeing particularly the twenty three to thirty year old age group reaching out to telehealth for alcohol-related, and other substance abuse services. And we're finding within 15 days of that telehealth encounter, that population is one of the largest to then go have an in-person visit. And that might be reflective of the fact that they have been encouraged by a telehealth provider to seek more systematic care and to really get a handle on that particular condition. So while there may be costs associated with that in-person care following telehealth, it may have forestalled something escalating even further uh, and requiring more emergency care or more acute care.
0: And when I was reading through the white paper, I also read some comments that were made, um, notably Dr. Martin McCary of Johns Hopkins and others praising the white paper for kind of showing aspects of telehealth that have not previously been studied. So. How is FairHealth able to kind of dig deeper into the topics than others have in the past?
1: FairHealth is uniquely positioned to shine a light on the telehealth sector, as well as other sectors of the healthcare system. We are fortunate to be sitting on the largest private healthcare claims collection in the country, with over 29 billion claims, reflecting both self-insured and fully insured services. So think of it as this ocean of claims, and we are able to take people out essentially on a glass-bottom boat to be able to look into this ocean. And what allows us to really parse claims associated with telehealth is the fact that on the claims, there is a place of service field that would flag when something is being done in a telehealth setting. So we can segregate those claims, really put them under the microscope, and evaluate them to see what type of conditions are presenting, what type of... Uh, You know, what the demographic factors are associated with those people seeking telehealth services by age and gender and by geographic area. So it really is a privilege to be able to bring the public closer to that telehealth sector and see what we're seeing.
0: Yeah, something I saw that was really interesting from the white paper, like you mentioned, was geographic area. And you did see differences based on location. Was it concerning to you that urban areas had bigger growth when? rural areas are more often lacking providers and access to care, and we see more hospitals and more providers closing down. So you would think rural areas would need this um, to a greater
1: extent? Well, while you're correct that urban growth in telehealth overall has now outdistanced rural growth, in some ways that urban growth is playing catch-up to what the rural growth had shown before. So it's not that rural growth has... All, there still is significant growth nearly five, nearly nine hundred percent growth in rural use of telehealth services and where we see some of that interesting geographic layering in telehealth is with respect to discharge related provider to patient services in the telehealth arena there rural services still outdistance urban and that makes sense for the population 51 and older who are leaving a hospital setting in a rural area, it is probably difficult for them to travel back to those facilities. Distances are probably larger um, and they have more hurdles to overcome. So that is an interesting way in which the rural population has benefited uh, from telehealth services. In the urban area, uh, we are likely seeing, because it's primarily in the 31 to 40 year old age bracket that we're seeing that non-discharge related Provider to patient telehealth. These are people who are probably trying to really gain convenient access to primary care around their workday, even though urban areas are often, uh, you know, hosting different kinds of specialties in actual office settings. But this is a way in which for people to gain access when they need it in ways that are supportive of their, you know, lifestyle and day to day needs.
0: And there were three other types of telehealth that the white paper looked at. What were they and what did the data look like for these?
1: Well, the other three types were provider-to-provider telehealth, which involves a consultation between healthcare providers. Then there's provider-to-patient discharge telehealth, in which the telehealth visit is a follow-up after a patient is discharged from a hospital inpatient stay. And then the last category is physician to patient telehealth where the patient is in an emergency department within a hospital and is connecting with a physician outside of that emergency uh, department. And so in the most recent year, in 2018, the non-hospital-based provider-to-patient visits really dramatically outdistanced those other three categories, accounting for approximately 84% of the telehealth claim line distribution. The others really were in order of discharge related provider to patient telehealth with sort of the next, and that was only 13% with the other two categories quite negligible. So we really, we really are seeing that evolution to non-hospital-based provided to patient telehealth eclipsing all the other categories and becoming a very prominent part of uh, the primary care delivery system.
0: Great. So that's actually all the questions I had for you. Was there anything else you wanted to add or bring up before I let you go?
1: I think what will be interesting uh, to look to as we're in this living laboratory involving telehealth, because the paint is not yet dry on, on some of these analyses, is to really look at, you know, ways in which telehealth will factor into care coordination and care management protocols, just to make sure that telehealth is linking up with other sites of care and other providers in a particular patient's sort of delivery constellation.
0: Right. That's definitely a good point. Have you seen any kind of work with this so far? Is anyone doing this? Or is this such a kind of a new and emerging field that this will be more in the future?
1: I think it's new and emergent, but I think there is a light being shined on that particular thread uh, to the telehealth narrative, if you will, and I think there are efforts being made to ensure that communication channels are opened up between the different providers, and we're seeing that even outside of telehealth with electronic health records and making sure that providers can communicate to one another to ensure the, you know optimal care for a particular patient.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate
1: it really been a pleasure. Thank you for your interest in this area.
0: To learn more about the report, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. You can get in touch with us by emailing info at AJMC.com or by following us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And finally, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Thanks for tuning in.